We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. All right, guys, what's happening? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. Today it is Mike and Darius. Pete is off. Uh, Pete is buried in Pau Gasol film. Uh, Pete is putting together a number of packages that I'm looking forward to seeing as, of course, the Lakers honor the great Spaniard, uh, Pau Gasol, who immediately after being traded for Darius helped the Lakers go to three straight finals, uh, losing the first and then winning back to back and just making a ton of fans of himself and friends along the way. Uh, one of the best and classiest guys that I've ever covered. And so we're going to I'm going to try to get, have the, the bird's eye like direct view tonight of what's going on at Pau ceremony. And then we'll get Pete in here. And we'll do the full celebration of POW uh, probably tomorrow, Darius. 100%. We will dive into all of our POW stories and POW memories tomorrow in the aftermath of his well-deserved Jersey retirement. POW, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame person, Hall of Fame teammate, just all around great, great dude. And so we are so happy that this is happening tonight. And it's apropos, Mike that it's happening against the team that traded him to, or the organization that traded him to the Lakers uh, tonight's matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies. So in today's pod, I thought we would, and you, and we talked about this a little bit beforehand that we talk some about the Grizz game, but also dive into the standings stuff. Cause all of this stuff is related now, right? Mike, we're under 20 games left in the season. The standings look crazy, and tonight a interesting Memphis team comes to Los Angeles. For those who may not be as locked in with what's going on around the Grizzlies right now, Mike, why don't you sort of give us a lead-in on the Grizz coming in and everything from whether it's jaw or injuries or everything else? So the Grizzlies are the two-seed still right now, but just by a half a game as Sacramento has been creeping up. And they've lost two in a row. The Lakers just saw him last week. John Morant, of course, has the 28-point third quarter. And the Lakers turned the ball over a million times. In fact, it was 27. But, man, how things have changed. And, of course, this is mostly to do with John Morant. And I think that on on this specific pod, just because we're going to focus on the matchup itself and more from the Lakers' standpoint, 
And then also just look at, as Darius discussed, one of my favorite things to do, right? The the Western Conference standings where you have yes. four teams yes. with the same record. Uh, the Lakers, 31 and 34, same as Portland, same as Utah and New Orleans. And then, by the way, Oklahoma City is a half game back of that. So things are a little crazy right there. But the Grizzlies are not right now, right this second, the number two seed. Without Ja, uh, without Steven Adams still, they just lost Brandon Clark, due, uh, which is terrible news just for them and in general. Uh, I think a lot of people really like the way that Clark plays as a backup big. He tore his Achilles. So they're they're hampered right now. They're really dealing with some things. They nonetheless almost beat the Clippers until they just collapsed down the stretch. Uh, re- like we were recording at the time, and it looked like they were going away with the win. And then, Darius, it was like a 20-2 to two run. And this is the first thing that I want to bring up about this matchup because with Ja – you know, of course they're geared around him, but they have a lot of other good players. And last year they played great without Ja, in part because Tyus Jones is the best backup point guard in the NBA and can come in and really be a steady hand and guide them and make sure guys are getting the ball in the right spots, hit some threes, etc. But this year, increasingly, in the last couple of minutes, it's been Ja, here's the basketball, go drive into the paint, make things happen. That's their late game offense. And that's part of what went away in the Clipper game. And so that's the first thing that I want to kick back to you as the Lakers throw out the records a little bit for this one, because I think they're more evenly matched, even without LeBron. And I I doubt Russell's going to play even without those two, with all of that Memphis is dealing with. You know, this to me is not the two seed that the Lakers have to think about, uh, you know, being getting lucky against a win or anything. Like I think they can play right with Memphis. And it's partly because of what they don't have when Jaws out there as that creation force and how they can deploy themselves defensively on what Memphis has left. So that's where I wanted to kick to you to start. No, I'm glad you brought up the idea of shot creation because I think that Memphis is not a very good half-court offense. They tried to rectify that a little bit by trading for Luke Kennard at uh, the trade deadline, tried to get some shooting in there that will potentially open up more actions for them in the half-court and provide some spacing for them as well as someone who can be a high-volume three-point shooter. Outside of jaw... They don't have a lot of shot creation. Bain has done a really good job, I think, of increasing his workload in that area this season. He had even played some sort of quasi backup point guard minutes um, in tandem with with Tyus Jones a little bit as a lead ball handler and shot creator, someone who has run more pick and rolls this season and, and just been a more just dependable ball handler type type of guy in, in expanding his skill set a little bit. But it's always going to come back to Jaw, just like with the Lakers, it's always going to come back to LeBron or with Dallas, it's always going to come come back to Luka. When you have these heliocentric players, these guys who are the focal point of your entire offensive attack, it's great to have complementary guys or even backup players who who can take on some of that burden. Tyus Jones, just like you said, is is a great backup point guard and, and could probably be a a high-level starter for a lot of teams in this league. But his type of game is different. And Memphis relies on Jaw's shot creation so much to help be the engine of, of, of what is left of their half-court offense, but also as a key driver of their transition offense. And so without him, Mike, things are going to get trickier for them. And down the stretch against the Clippers, we were recording during that game, but I went back and watched some of these clips um, and watched an extended stretch during that run. And 
a lot of it was like, okay, well, let's isolate Jaron Jackson and see if he could get it going. And that's not really his game, right? Like Triple J is a wonderful defensive player, but offensively he is still way more reliant on others to create shots for him rather than him creating shots for himself. And, and so Memphis is in an interesting predicament um, just from an X's and O's basketball standpoint to say nothing of how Jaws' personal situation might be impacting the team as well, which we don't have a lot of feel on at all. So I don't want to go too far in that direction, but there's just a lot hanging over them right now and a lot to navigate in a race for them too, where I think that they'd prefer to be in that two, three range and not dip farther. And and it's tricky now with the Suns charging and Sacramento right there. There's a lot going on. So the player I think that is still that should be the feature point as to how the Lakers think about Memphis defensively is Desmond Bain, uh, who I think is an excellent player who who can increase his usage, who can make some plays. And with that said, if the Lakers can just devote enough resources to him, almost in the way, Darius, that they played against Golden State and they played some combo of Clay, Steph and Jordan Poole, where it's like no open threes, you know, go over the top and just keep a guy attached to him. Well, if you do that, cause he's going to be on the floor. He, he played all 12 fourth quarter minutes. Other than that, you know, Jaron Jackson jr. Played 10 minutes and 17 Xavier Tillman played seven minutes and 40 seconds. David Roddy started. Now I think he will go yeah. out of the starting rotation and because Dylan Brooks likely to be back and Dylan Brooks is happy to take more usage that in fact, he loves it. But I, that to me is not necessarily a bad, necessarily a bad thing for the Lakers. Because uh, he'll he'll happily take bad shots, and sometimes he'll make them, and sometimes he won't. And then Tyus Jones is on the, the court for most of that. The other bigs that that play a little bit, like Aldama is going to play a little bit, and then Luke Kennard was out there in crunch time as well. And but that group only scored 17 points in the fourth. Now, as I'm criticizing their fourth quarter, we remember that they scored 51 points in the third quarter, in which yep. they hit 10 threes. Tyus was four of four in the third quarter and seven to seven from the field. Bain was three for three from three. So like those clearly are the guys that can get going some, but I just think that with Anthony Davis as the base, you can play really aggressive on those guys and say, if you want to drive inside, go ahead. And even if you want to pull up and take some long twos, that's fine, but you're not getting all the way to the rim. And same thing with Jaron Jackson jr. If you want to take threes, that's okay. But I, I think the way that the Lakers play defense against the Warriors, if they can summon up that same level of energy, Memphis is going to struggle to score. And so in, unless you want to go on that, what I wanted to kick you on, kick it to you was this, the flip side of Jaron Jackson Jr. making it difficult to score inside. Um, not necessarily just for AD, because AD can still find a way to get his shots however he wants. But what is the way that you would attack this Memphis defense and, you know, assuming that that is where Dylan Brooks helped some. And he was part of the reason that kind of sped them up and created a bunch of turnovers. Um, him combining yeah. with with that backline defense of Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, I think that Brooks's return as a potential primary defender against Dennis Schroeder is, to me, um, a very important matchup to watch in this game. Dennis has not been at his best as a scorer and particularly with his efficiency the last several games. And a big part of that is because he's been playing against bigger wing defenders that you might typically see assigned to LeBron, right? Or even assigned to D'Angelo Russell 
But now that Dennis is really the lone perimeter shot creator in the starting lineup, those guys are they're delegated to Dennis. And Dennis is the guy who has to be matched up against the 6'4", 6'6", McDaniels, 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", dudes, right, who are basically just, like, laying off of him, trying to force him to drive into traffic and shoot over the top of much bigger guys. And, and so Brooks's return is super important. I'm interested to see how Dennis navigates that and how he works in tandem with AD and still featuring AD a ton. Right. And so one of the things that Memphis is going to struggle with, I think, against the Lakers is that Triple J is a wonderful defensive player and he's someone who can easily win defensive player of the year this year. Amazing block rate, deflections, and, and just hangs around down low in a way that actually reminds you of AD from when the Lakers were winning the championship back in the 1920 season and 2021 season where it, where he could hang off the ball a little bit and not be the primary defender against um, some of the bigger dudes who are like the primary offensive force from like the forward position. But one of the places where Triple J can struggle some is with foul trouble and with Adams hurt and now without Clark, he's going to need to defend without fouling against AD. And this is where Mike, I'll kick it back to you. Uh, There was a lot of talk after the last game, the last warrior or the last Lakers game against the Warriors about AD really finding his rhythm. I think Darvin Ham even spoke about AD looking like he's in a groove offensively and, and AD spoke to this some too. I'm looking for AD to remain aggressive, uber aggressive this game because he can take it to Triple J in a way where Jaron Jackson's going to get some blocks and he's going to challenge and he's going to do his thing. But he's also prone to reaching in some, committing some fouls. And so to me, it's more not necessarily like what do the Lakers do in order to get AD going? It's like how aggressive is AD in just attacking a very good individual defensive player? Because to me, it's almost going to be a lot of one-on-one stuff rather than like, oh, how do they navigate the pick and roll and getting AD going into spots? They may just have to post him some and have him isolate the way that he did against Looney and even Draymond late in the game against the Warriors. I'd love to see just some patience from AD and knowing that he's going to keep getting touches and basically get your injection junior in foul trouble because he will, even with AD, he will try to essentially just block his shot, even though it's AD yeah. and you, he is susceptible to that. And if the Lakers can get him off the floor, uh, then I think the floodgates can open some. So let me now, you know what? Let's do this. Let's take a break and put this into context, this game specifically with the Western conference playoff race. And at this point, probably still looking more likely to be the play in race for the Lakers, but In saying that, thinking about how much more important it is to have the nine versus the 10 or the eight versus the nine or the seven versus the eight and how a game like tonight matters uh, in that pursuit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so Western Conference playoff race is something that we've talked about and focused in a lot. And hopefully because we do it so much, if you listen to this podcast, um, you don't have to do it as much. And we can just sort of lay out what is important about it. So last night, in continuing a trend, a lot of teams in the range that the Lakers are in continue to lose games. And so New Orleans has lost, uh, they've lost seven of 10 and two straight. Portland has actually won two. Um, to get back in line with where the Lakers are. Utah has lost three in a row and six of 10. The Clippers finally got that win, as we discussed over Memphis after losing five straight, but they have only won three of their last 10 games. And the Clippers are still at this point now, two games ahead of the rest of that mix. So uh, in, in looking at then like this game against Memphis, for example, then the Lakers have two more home games against Eastern Conference teams with the Knicks and the Raptors coming in. Both those teams are playing pretty well. And are hungry yep. for wins. And I'm probably underselling it by saying pretty well. The Knicks have won nine in a row. And Toronto, though they lost their last game, have won six of ten and are kind of picking things up. So what like Darius, when there's a when there's a team that is shorthanded, acknowledging that the Lakers themselves are shorthanded, this this is another one of those games that you just sort of circle and say, This is a good opportunity to beat a Memphis team that just got you on their home court. The Lakers have more motivation. They've got, uh, even from the last game, they've got more cohesion than what Memphis has tried to figure out without Ja, without a couple of their other guys. So uh, that that one does strike an importance. But where I want to kick this to you now, the trends I see sort of continuing, like Utah, I'm not even thinking about so much. Like they're clearly going down. They clearly aren't wanting to win that much. Oklahoma City, um, they've won two in a row, but... I think they're going to start doing the Shea, whether it's back-to-backs or groin or whatever. I think that they're more interested in in being in that mix with Orlando and Indiana, kind of like the teams that could get down to the six, than they are to try to really make a play-in push. So the two teams that that leaves me with, and again, correct me if you have disagreements here, Portland and New Orleans. What are the motivations there for them to get into the play-in? Uh, what are the talent levels there relative to what the Lakers are? Uh, where do you see those teams uh, kind of in pursuit of those? Right now, it would be the 9 and 10. And this would be, we'll talk about the Clippers and the Mavericks and the Timberwolves later. Uh, they're right now the 6, 7, 8. But first, that group right there, Portland, Utah, New Orleans, Oklahoma City. Are you with me in thinking that Portland and New Orleans are the teams that are going to veer up more so than Utah and OKC? Yeah, Utah and OKC have they have mixed motivations, right? I think both are rebuilding teams, and I think both would not mind a high lottery pick to sort of uh, bolster their rebuilding efforts. OKC, of course, already has like a, a top level player, a guy in in SGA who should make an All NBA team. 
this year. Like he's been so good. I, he's fifth in the league in scoring and a top steals and deflections guy. He's just been great. And Utah, I think, has done a very good job of selling this season as like a feel good story to this point that if they fell off, there wouldn't be any bad feelings for them. Like they got marketing who made an all star team. They're this team that just has a lot going for them looking forward, especially with all the draft equity that they have in place. And so that does turn us to Portland and New Orleans, who both those teams have strong motivations to get into the postseason, Mike, just like the Lakers. And if the standings stay exactly the way they are right now with the two teams that we said falling out of the race, it leaves three teams, including the Lakers and the Pelicans and the Blazers for two spots, basically, like the ninth and tenth seeds into or into that play in chase. Because both those teams have a ton of motivation to get there. But who do you think is best equipped and include the Lakers in this as well? Portland, they've got Dame. Dame is playing at an insane level. Simons is hurt, though. And they've still got questionable depth in their front court, even after making a couple of trades for Tybal and Cam Reddish. And then you've got the Pelicans, who... Ingram and CJ, obviously, Ballas, but Alvarado banged up. There's no updates on Zion. And then you've got the Lakers. We know Braun's out for an extended period. Russell is still up in the air a little bit. He's questionable, but he might not play tonight. Maybe Friday, right? And so he hopes to come back soon, but a lot of uncertainty with all of these teams. So is there a team that you think of those three teams that is best position to stay in and then best position to fall out. Yeah. I, so let's start. Let's start because I want to get into all these teams, but let's start with New Orleans for a second here. I, Darius, I just don't see how Zion comes back at this point. He's still the really, hamstring. At all. At all. Well, I mean, just look at the calendar. There's only, there's only, there's one month left in the season, right? There's no return time. Uh, there's no return time yet. And the the thing that you worry the most about with a hamstring injury is coming back too soon and then re-injuring it again. And I mean, so let's say, let's say with a week, like, are you, are you going to bring Zion back with a week left in the season when the Pelicans, like they have a lot of talent. There's a lot of players on that team that I really like. And by the way, as well, they should, because they got a bunch yes. of studs from the Lakers and they've draft they've made some pretty good draft picks, uh, including Trey Murphy, who I really like. Like there are pieces there. But when you don't know if your star, your star player that was I think a big reason why they were able to vault where they were in the standings because of all the efficient offense that he brought uh with Zion, like I just don't these next these next this next stretch of games for them. It's against Dallas at home. That is tomorrow then against Oklahoma city at home. Then again, so they're in this four game home strand uh, home stand, then Portland and then the Lakers come in on March 14th. After that, they have, they have the stretch of their schedule that is as easy as it can get with um, back-to-back games against Houston and uh, both on the road and then San Antonio at home. But from that point on, other than a home game at Charlotte, it's all Western conference teams that are sort of vying for spots. Like it's, it's the Clippers, Portland, Golden State, Denver, the Clippers again, Sacramento, Memphis, the Knicks, and at Minnesota. That is a rough like end of the season schedule. And this is where the Lakers have the advantage. Uh, it just, just talking about Lakers versus Pelicans right now. Cause again, they have the same exact record um, at this moment. 
the Lakers have these home games. We've all discussed what this uh, what this is, and it's it's Memphis, Toronto, New York. Then, the, of course, a pivotal game at New Orleans, right? We'll see who's ready mm-hmm. for that one. We would have to assume yep. D'Angelo Russell is back by then. We know that LeBron won't be. We I think we have a lot of confidence that Zion won't be. And so that could be advantage Lakers uh, in that context of what the matchup is. And then from that point on, the Lakers have more they have more games where, you know, the other team won't necessarily have a ton to play for. And that's that's once again, Oklahoma City. We'll see. But Oklahoma City coming uh, to work to the Lakers, Orlando coming to the Lakers and Orlando. Like, are they trying to make a push to get into the plan? I don't know, but they're still really young. Then you have the two key games here for me, Darius, at Utah and then home against Utah. Utah, who has some players for sure, but is not necessarily playing all of them and is highly motivated to continue to go down to get as as high a percentage as they can and then throw in a game, another game at Houston in April. So just with those alone, like take forget all of the other matchups amongst Western teams and the Lakers play the Bulls twice. Right. Like that to me is a big enough difference in the schedule. Um, to to give the Lakers the nod over a New Orleans team that I'm not necessarily expecting Zion back. And if he does come back, them them doing the whole, you know, 15 minutes in the first game, right? 20 minutes in the second game, rest on the back-to-back, 25 minutes, you know, just not normal. Like not a normal rotation that is hard to find yeah. cohesion around. So there's my there's my laying out a bunch of New Orleans thoughts. Um, hit me back on the Pelicans and and then we'll move over to the Blazers. No, the schedule stuff with the Pelicans is a super great point, Mike. And I'm just just look at their next four games, Dallas, OKC, Portland, and then the Lakers. Just those four games alone, that can make or break their push because those are three of those teams are against the teams that are right in that same area with them. And so if they lose all three of those games or put the Lakers game aside, if they go one and two or zero oh and three in those games, those are all critical games for them to stay in the race. If they lose to OKC and Portland, that's like, oh my goodness, they're going to be in 12th. You know what I mean? Like they're just going to keep falling. And, and so they are in the most precarious situation to me. And what maybe internally there are timelines for Zion, but publicly there are not. For example, we don't know when LeBron is going to play again, but we at least know that there's a reevaluation date coming and there's something to shoot for in terms of like there being an actual timeline for a potential return for him. You listen to folks talk about Zion and it's like there's nothing. And that idea that you said you're not sure that he comes back. I remember us thinking about this with Austin and Austin's hamstring strain was seemingly not as severe as Zion. Zion's missed way more time than Austin missed. But remember how we were thinking like, oh, he might play in this upcoming road trip. And he just didn't. And they kept giving him extra days and extra days and extra days because just like you said, the last thing you want is a dude with a strained hamstring to go out there and push it a little bit too early because then you jeopardize him again for potentially another two, three weeks, four weeks in or whatever. And so if you're saying that New Orleans looks like the team most likely to fall out, what do you think about Portland then? Well, all right. So so now... We, it sounds like we can agree, though, that just between the Lakers and the Pelicans, 
the the mix of schedule and health, even yes. with not knowing for sure about LeBron. But I think that it does at least slightly uh, favor the Lakers. And and just and also I think the Lakers have even more motivation as a collective franchise than New Orleans does uh, to try and do their best to make a run because I, I think New Orleans can take comfort in let's say things go the other way, then they just add yet another lottery pick uh, to their, you know, to their war chest at this point. And there's no pressure for them to win, you know, to get into the play in and like, see if they can make things interesting or whatever. Yeah. They've got interesting decisions around Zion and his health, but those are more long-term decisions related to Zion specifically. But in terms of the upward trajectory of their franchise, they're still a team that you would welcome being their front office, basically, even with that Zion decision looming. They've got so many good young players and assets to deal with. But that, but, you know, but that pressure to win, it does make a difference in these kinds of things like the or it the does. fan base, the feeling, the questions that they're going to get in them. Like when when Darvin Ham, let's say the Lakers, whatever their their play uh, play out, playoff play in positioning is on April 1st, right? Every pregame question is be like, so Darwin, you guys are half game back of this team. Like, how big is this game? Meanwhile, in New Orleans, it's gonna be like, so how's Zion doing in his rehab? Oh yeah, by the way, you guys play the whoever tonight. I, I just think those are different points of emphasis. So let's let's go into Portland now. I I mentioned the schedule and how it's more difficult in in the sense of opponents, you know, for New Orleans than for the Lakers, but. They're actually pretty similar in terms of the percentage of teams they play against. I, 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 Portland is not. Portland has the second most difficult schedule left in the NBA. Um, and and it, it like I just looked at it again. It is very difficult. So their next their next uh, eight games at Boston, at Philly, home uh, at New Orleans, home against the Knicks, home against the Celtics. So Boston twice in that mix, home against the Clippers at Utah. And then home against Chicago. I mean, that is rough. Uh, that is a rough schedule. And Damian Lillard has been magnificent. Uh, it's probably been undersold how ridiculous he's been. Just th- there is, these are his totals from the last 10 games. Point was 40, 28, 33, 38, 40, 39, 71, 25, 41, 33, 41, 31. Uh, he's also up there in assists in a lot of those they're not getting a lot of production from the forward spots, although Jeremy Grant pops here and there. And they're certainly not getting a lot from the center, the center spot where Nurkic is out and it's been some mix of Eubanks and, you know, like small ball looks with Nasir Little or something like there. So they are thin. Dame has just been carrying them, carrying them through a bunch of games. I do not think that Dame can carry them through teams like Boston and Philly and New York. Like that, to have that, those four elite in terms of record. I, I guess I don't think the Knicks are elite, but they've won nine in a row right now. They're playing well. Uh, that is a rough stretch. And that right there is another one of those mini separators, kind of like you pointed to, to uh, New Orleans. And their end of the season schedule is not easier. It's it's the Kings twice, then Minnesota, then Memphis, then an easy one with the Spurs, then the Clippers and the Warriors. So that to me, it's, I am the combination of what their roster is with what they don't have around Dame because of all the injuries and et cetera, and trading Josh Hart, that plus the schedule Darius, uh, I think that gives the Lakers a significant edge. In fact, um, over Portland for this stretch run as well. Just to repeat this schedule point, Mike, starting on March 29th and then through April 9th, their last game of the season, Kings, Kings, Wolves, Grizzlies, 
Spurs, Clippers, Warriors. There is not a team in that mix that I think that I can envision having nothing to play for at that point. Except for the Spurs, yeah. Yeah, except for the Spurs. There's always going to be jockeying towards the end of the season. And maybe one of those teams is like, oh, well, if I lose this game, then I fall into the sixth spot and I get to face this team. But these are good teams. And the West playoff chase is so compacted. It's there's such a log jam. There's just not a lot of breathing room. And then the Eastern Conference teams that they play are the good ones. It's like they got Boston twice and, and they got Philly. And so, yes, they have to play the Bulls. And then the Knicks. You had said that you're not sure if the Knicks are an elite team, and I'm not sure about their postseasons and prospects either, but they've got the fourth best record since like Christmas or something like that. They've got they've been playing great basketball and total Tibbs ball and like a great sort of brand for New York, too, with just like gut it out and go out there and just playing hard and, and our boy Julius is out there doing things. Our old friend Josh Hart out there doing things. The Knicks are fun. It's like, look at them. Quickly the other night against Boston, like making plays down the stretch. It, it, like They're just a fun basketball team. And so the Lakers are going to have that to deal with too, right? And, and so I don't want to make it seem like, oh, only these teams have a hard schedule and the Lakers don't. But those other team schedules are more difficult than what the Lakers face. And I'll kick this idea back to you, Mike, because I think Darwin has been taking the right approach when it comes to the Lakers side of things, which is like, we have to control the things that we can control and we have to go out there and win basketball games. And I think that was probably one of the things that he was most irritated about in that Wolves game as well. It was just that idea of we control our destiny and the Lakers do. If they go out and win, these other teams play each other enough times and the Lakers play some of these teams enough times as well that there's going to be a cannibalizing of these teams in between the 6th and 10th seeds, 6th and 12th seeds, actually. And the team that just continues to pound away and win the games in front of them, they're the team that's going to climb in the standings and the team that's that's going to be safe. In terms of that North Star the Lakers are chasing and Darvin being the steward of that, where are you at with this team? Yeah, I think all that stuff is pretty good. I think it's good. It's a mix of It's a mix of kind of... They only have this one, this one goal, this one thing to get to, and there's nobody that has some sort of different agenda. Um, the one caveat to that would be like you know a couple guys that don't have contracts for next season that are still you know maybe sure. thinking about their own situation a little bit. But you're going to get that on basically every team, um, except for one that is so clearly a, like a, a in line to get to the t- to a title um, type position. Like if somebody on Milwaukee or Boston right now, right, or some Phoenix role player that just like, all right, stop, we're not having that discussion right now. So there might, there could be a tiny bit of that. But overall, I think that it's a pretty united front uh, right now. And the, the question is more just when does Russell come back? Well, if not tonight, hopefully that's Friday. And then when what is LeBron's deal and what position are the Lakers going to be in? But having looked at all this, I think the most likely – pending, you know, relative health and just if things go how they've been going, the Lakers probably have the edge on the nine seed. And then you have to look at the seven and eight. It's going to be some mix like the Timberwolves, Clippers and Mavs are essentially tied right now for six, seven, eight. Timberwolves have a tougher schedule, but they have been playing better uh, in their last in the last week or so than either the, the Mavericks or the Clippers. And 
you know, which one of those teams is one of those teams going to fall to the degree that they're they're drop they're like swapping out a place of of where the Lakers could be. I'm not going to assume that that's going to happen because even at this point, like three games in the win column, which is what the Wolves and the Clippers have over the Lakers, and two games in the loss column, uh, that is that's significant enough to be a tiebreaker uh, for in those teams' standings. So I, I think that my point, Darius, my takeaway out of this whole play-in and kind of discussion is the Lakers can if if things just go chalk, they'll have a pretty good chance to finish ahead of the Jazz, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Thunder um, in that nine spot. But the ninth spot in the play-in isn't really the best thing to be. Yeah, one it's home not. game just to get just for the right to have one road game to get in to be the eight seed. So, but there the Lakers cannot count on other than like by beating you know the Clippers for one team that they do play um, and giving themselves kind of a double bump in that sense. You know they're going to need a little help if they're going to get out of that that nine ten spot in the plan, which again is not fun because not only do you have to play, you have to play a tough game, uh, but it doesn't get you anything. All it gets you is a, is a road game with everything on the line to try and get in, to try and become the eight seed. And at this point that's going to be against Denver. You know, there's even if like Phoenix is, I think Phoenix is going to stay hot here, but they're not making up a 10 game, you know, uh, margin. In, <laughs> that's in, right. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So, so yep. right now, to, that remains the most likely path, I think, for the Lakers. Uh, that's They don't need to be thinking about all that. They need to right now be thinking about who's going to win games. But I just want to make sure that's the yep. underscore is that even if things go pretty well in the, in this next stretch of games, you know, the Lakers could could still be looking at the ninth seed. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But that's where I see it right now. No, I think that that's the right way to look at things. And I think narrowing in their focus on each night's opponent is obviously the only way to go. But for us outsiders, we can definitely take a bigger view and sort of highlight some of the more important games. Look, the game on the seventh of on March 17th against the Mavs, that could end up being a crucial game. The game on the 31st against well, the Timberwolves and, and at tie Minnesota. Tiebreaker, uh, tie yeah. yeah, two in that. At Minnesota on the 31st, that's an important game, right? Minnesota just beat this Lakers team, and you were talking about how they're playing better, but this is one of those things where, where every win against a team that is above you and in the same range as you is super important. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily counting like the Phoenix games, right? They, they play the Suns twice, but that Clippers game on the fifth, that Minnesota game on March 31st, and that game against the Mavs on the 17th, those are three games, Mike, that I have circled because those are the teams that are in that next band up from the Lakers right now that if the Lakers really want to try to get to eighth or seventh, those are the games that they have to win. Those are the ones that will be the rocket pack on their back. I personally like the focus that the Lakers are coming into this games with. I've really enjoyed listening to Darvin and AD speak after these these games in particular because they seem to be of this singular mindset of we're going to go out there and do everything that we can in order to try to win these basketball games. And we gave a lot of praise to AD the last pod, but he's going to be the Bullworth here them he is he is the guy that that is that is in the middle of of it all and it starts tonight mike 
against the Grizzlies on on Pal Gasol night. The Lakers are going to look for another big game from from Anthony Davis, and if he gives it to them, they're going to be they're going to put themselves in the best position to win a game on an important night where we'll, where we'll be celebrating one of our personal favorites from the last decade plus of Lakers lore. So if you get a chance to tune in to Spectrum Sportsnet, they're going to have a ton of POW stuff. And starting, in fact, he's doing a press conference at 4.30 Pacific time, well ahead of the game. We'll have you know reactions to that. And then a bunch of POW videos and tributes throughout the game. So it should be fun just to, uh, to you know, just honor uh, a, a true Laker legend uh, who is who is still kind of here and able to appreciate it um, with his family. And and hopefully I think uh, I think members of the Bryant family um, as well, I assume, will be there and that'll be special to see. So until then, and we will recap some of that tomorrow. He's Darius. I'm Mike. We'll get Pete uh, on the horn tomorrow. We appreciate you guys listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast and we'll see you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one, miss it! Bryant! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.